Thank you all for your ongoing support and prayers uh, as my mum's ill health at the moment. I, I really do appreciate it. And the fact that you let me just take off and drive south at a moment's notice is fantastic. Um, and she certainly appreciates it too. And she is hoping in due course to come up and see you all herself. So that, that's good. We are here to worship our God who is here with us in all the events of life, good and more difficult. And we hear some words from Psalm 72. He rescues the poor who call to him and those who are needy and neglected. He has pity on the weak and poor. He saves the lives of those in need. He rescues them from oppression and violence. Their lives are precious to him. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. He alone does these wonderful things. Praise his glorious name forever. May his glory fill the whole world. Let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray together. The book of Revelation speaks of a crowd of witnesses that no one could count praising God. We stand on the edge of that crowd and add our voices to those who have gone before us into the presence of the Creator and filled with wonder and awe, enveloped in love, find ourselves compelled to cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy God, you are always just beyond our reach, tantalisingly close and yet elusive. We catch glimpses of your glory reflected in the beauty of creation. We hear echoes of your voice in the roar of the sea and the rushing wind. We feel the gentle touch of your hand skimming our bodies in the breeze. We are able, fleetingly, delightfully, to be aware of your presence deep within our very being. Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory, honour and power, for you created all things. Powerful God, your weakness and vulnerability defy our most determined shows of strength. We are astounded by a God who chooses to risk everything simply by being born. We are bewildered by a God able to absorb into yourself all evil and sin through the suffering of one man. We are humbled by a God whose very essence is love. We are able, fleetingly, deliberately, to offer in the tiniest measure the honour that such a God deserves. To the one who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb, be praise, honour, glory and might forever and ever. Eternal God, your eternal now confounds our impatience to be doing, our regrets at opportunities missed. 
We are awed at the possibility of endless time without boredom, without limit. We are attracted by the promises of an eternity free of suffering, death and tears. We are drawn into the depths of wonder, love and praise. We pause fleetingly, longingly, on the verge of eternity, aching for its fulfilment. With the multitude of the saints, with all believers everywhere, we offer our worship in the name of Christ our Lord, to whom be all glory, honour and praise. Amen. This morning's reading comes from Acts, Acts chapter 28 and reading verses 16 to 31. That's that's, uh, page 186 in the Pew Bible. When we arrived in Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier guarding him. After three days, Paul called the local Jewish leaders to a meeting. When they had gathered, he said to them, My fellow Israelites, even though I did nothing against our people or the customs that we received from our ancestors, I was made a prisoner in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. After questioning me, the Romans wanted to release me because they found that I had done nothing for which I deserved to die. But when the Jews opposed this, I was forced to appeal to the emperor, even though I had no accusation to make against my own people. That is why I asked to see you and talk with you. As a matter of fact, I am bound in chains like this for the sake of him for whom the people of Israel hope. They said to him, We have not received any letters from Judea about you, nor have any of our people come from there with any news or anything bad to say about you. But we would like to hear your ideas, because we know that everywhere people speak against this party to which you belong. So they fixed a date with Paul, and a large number of them came that day to the place where Paul was staying. From morning till night he explained to them his message about the kingdom of God, as he tried to convince them about Jesus by quoting from the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets. Some of them were convinced by his words, but others would not believe. So they left, disagreeing among themselves, after Paul had said this one thing, how well the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophet Isaiah to your ancestors. For he said, Go and say to this people, You will listen and listen, but not understand. You will look and look, but not see, because this people's minds are dull, and they have stopped up their ears and closed their eyes. Otherwise their eyes would see and their ears would hear. Their minds would understand and they would turn to me, says God, and I would heal them. And Paul concluded, You are to know then that God's message of salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. For two years Paul lived in a place he rented for himself, and there he welcomed all who came to see him. He preached about the kingdom of God and taught them about the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking with all boldness and freedom. Amen.
Every once in a while, when you turn on your television news or the radio news, you will hear a report of somebody who has died. Somebody who was once upon a time very much in the public eye. Only this week we have heard obituaries for Jimmy Reid, described by some as the greatest ever Scottish MP. Whether he was or not, I have to confess, I've never even heard of him, but hey, I'm just an Sassanac, you know, I don't know these things. But he was described as a great MP. Only a few weeks ago, we heard about the passing of Alex Hurricane Higgins. And whenever I hear reports of these kind of people, who are often actually quite old, I find myself wondering how they spent those final years. What were they doing? when they drifted out of the public eye? How did obscurity feel after all that fame? What was life like for them? The final years of the Apostle Paul are no less of a mystery to us, no less of a puzzle, because no one is actually sure where Paul died or when. He died, or even how he died. And there were lots of theories, there are lots of stories. But we don't know for sure. What we can be clear about, though, is that by the time Paul arrived in Rome, he was, by the standards of his time, an old man. He was certainly into his 50s and quite possibly into his 60s. It's around about 30 years since he was converted on the road to Damascus and quite possibly as much as a decade since the events in Athens where, as a mature man, he engaged intelligently with the Epicurean and Stoic scholars we heard about last week. He's had a lot more travels. He's planted more churches. He's visited churches he had already established. And then he went back to Jerusalem and got arrested and made an appeal on the grounds of his being a Roman citizen to go to the emperor. Truth is, if he hadn't made that request, he could have been set free and the end of his story would have been very different. But that was the request he made, to which he was entitled, and it had consequences. He was forced to travel as a prisoner, quite probably chained to a soldier, all the way to Rome to await trial at an undetermined date. And the book of Acts tells us some of the adventures they had on that journey. It was far from uneventful. As I pondered this story of the end of Acts, the last hearing we have of Paul, I thought back over the story of the early church that we've looked at this summer over the last few weeks. We've travelled around about 30 years in a month and a half. And I began to wonder what happened to some of those people that we heard about in the Gospels or the people we met in Acts who've just disappeared. The daughter of Jairus, for example, was the same age as Bethany when we first met her. But now she's closer to my age, assuming that she's still alive. Quite probably a mother or a grandmother. Or the boy who gave his loaves and fishes to Jesus. He's got to be in his mid-thirties by now, if not more. Perhaps he's a dad. 
Certainly you will have the responsibilities of adulthood. Or Lazarus of Bethany, who's probably died again. You meant to laugh at that point. <laughs> and Mary and Martha, if they are still alive, will be quite elderly, dependent on others to look after them. There was no social security kind of thing in those days. Life has moved on. Things have changed. The old order passes away and new people with new ideas have come into the church and it's their day now. It's their opportunity to take a leading role. And then I found myself wondering about Paul. Were his limbs starting to become stiff? When it was a little bit damp in the morning and he woke up, did his joints ache? Because mine are starting to, and I'm only 47, so it must have done for him. Had his teeth fallen out, and did he have to eat soft food? Was his hearing a bit dull, or his sight a bit dim? Has his keen mind become a little bit slower, a bit less able to acquire and process new ideas? And if, as some have suggested, his thorn in the flesh was some kind of physical ailment or disability, how did that affect the life of this man growing older? It seems to me that, like all of us who are at least past 40, whilst on the inside he might have thought he was still young, on the outside the years would have been taking their toll. The Paul who disappears into obscurity is an old man. He is no longer able, and maybe even perhaps no longer called, to do or to be what once he was and once he did. So why are we going to take some time looking at this last sighting of an old man, an apostle in retirement, a has-been evangelist and church planter, well, I think it's worth taking a look at it, because in his story, maybe we find hints of what God is saying to us, whatever our age or stage in life, about the work of the kingdom and our own part within it. As far as we can tell, Paul was a man of some financial means. He was able to rent a house and to live there whilst awaiting trial. It is possible that most of the time he was physically chained to a soldier. I don't know if you've ever seen when prisoners get taken out of jail because they have to go to the hospital or the doctors and they've got a policeman literally handcuffed to them. That may well be what it was like for Paul. Certainly he couldn't move around freely in the way he would have liked to. His days of travelling are over. He's forced to stay at home. He is, in effect, housebound. He may not be disabled, but he is bound to stay in or very close to his house. And that will affect the way he spends his time. Some things, of course, haven't changed. Paul is still fully committed to the faith that has shaped his life, and for which, at different times, he has been ridiculed, arrested and punished. And he's still determined to share that faith with other people. 
starting off with the Jews he meets when he arrives in Rome, and only then speaking to people of other races or worldviews. And he still finds the same response to the things he has to say. There are still people who say, well, that's just a load of old codswallop, I'm not interested. There are still some who say, hmm, that's interesting, let's talk about it a bit more. And there are still some for whom it makes sense, who find faith in Jesus <coughs> for themselves. The work of spreading the gospel goes on, even though Paul is in a very different circumstance. He is old, he is housebound, and he's also unknown. Nobody in Rome has heard of him. He speaks to the, the people who are Jewish in, in Rome, and they say, well, no, we don't know anything about you, we've heard nothing. Probably a bit of a shock to Paul, who was quite a famous person by now, that these people had never heard of him. He actually has to realise that what has gone, has gone. And that things have to change to reach new people. Paul can't go out anymore. So he invites the people to come in to his home. And there he talks about what he believes. And some of them accept it. We hear that in that passage from Acts. And then he just seems to me like a bit of a grumpy old man, really, when he's talking about the ones who don't accept it. He goes back and he says, you'll be listening and you won't understand. Grumble, grumble, grumble. He's quoting the prophet, of course he is, but it just has that little bit of biblical humour, I think. This grumpy old man moment in Paul. Okay, you don't want to know. That's fine. I'll talk to the people who do want to listen. To the people of other nationalities. The people of other worldviews. And he invites them to come into his house. And he talks to them. And we're kind of left hanging. We don't know what happened next. We're just left with Paul in this house, in Rome, having had a bit of a grumble at the Jews and saying, well, I'll, I'll talk to the Gentiles then. He just disappears. There are some hints in the letters, certainly Timothy, the two letters to Timothy and Titus. Some scholars see those as giving us hints of what happened next for Paul, that he may have been released and he may have travelled some more, but we don't know. He just disappears. There are no obituary notices in the national press. There is no statue to Paul. There is no state funeral. In his own words, he has completed his race and he crosses the line into eternity. But what has any of that got to say to any of us? Firstly, I think this is important, if not very jolly, it reminds us of our own mortality and our finitude. None of us is indispensable. And there will come a day when nobody remembers our names. That sounds morbid, I'm sorry, but that helps us to get a sense of proportion. We put a lot of work into the service of the kingdom, and that's good. But if we came back to Hillhead Baptist Church in a hundred years' time, no one would know who any of us were. We might find our names written down somewhere, but it wouldn't mean a lot to them. 
And that doesn't diminish what we've done. Actually, it should encourage us because it reminds us that this work carries on. A new generation of people will continue the work of spreading the gospel here or elsewhere. Secondly, it also reminds us that no one activity and no one expression of Christian service will last forever. First Church Corinth doesn't exist. First Church Ephesus, you can't find it. They've all been and gone. But the gospel carries on. No matter how good something has been, and no matter how many people have been blessed through it, a time comes when we have to let go. And I know that's hard because I've been there. I've been part of good work that has run its course and has to be allowed to go. Even when there were people who still enjoyed it, even when there were people who begged that it ought to carry on. And each time, looking back, it's been the right decision. There are three of the Girls' Brigade companies I ran, who are no more. Two of them were closed whilst I was there, and it was hard. But it was right. In Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, he says, forget the past and press on towards the goal. Now, I want to quibble with Paul over forgetting the past, because I think our past is important. But we shouldn't cling on to it. And I suspect that's really what he's saying. Don't cling to what's gone. Let it go and go where God is leading you. It's interesting, isn't it? When Jesus met Mary, or Mary met Jesus, on the day of his resurrection, he said to her, don't cling on to me. Let me go. This is necessary. What has been, has been. What is to come, is to come. Though it's hard, sometimes we have to let go. The third thing about Paul is that he acts in response to his circumstances. He can't go out, so he invites people to come to him. And it's been wonderful this morning, realising how diverse our nationalities and experience of different countries is. But most of us won't be overseas missionaries. Most of us won't be called to that, though there are people here who have been and have served faithfully. Most of us are not called to work full-time for the church, though there are plenty of people, especially sitting right in front of me, who have done that. But all of us can be inviters. All of us can offer hospitality, can welcome people, can talk about our faith and what it means to me. And somebody sitting at the back is going to get very embarrassed. I think there's been a brilliant example of that for us. Antoinette has just been amazing since she's been with us because she just meets people and brings them along. And, it, and it's great. And that's what it's about. Just inviting people to say, well, come and see. And if they think it's a really cool one, so be it. But they might be curious. And they might be convinced. In recent months, two of our much-loved initiatives of the church have reached their natural ending, and we've had to let them go, and it isn't easy, it really isn't easy, 
but we have to do it. And at the same time, we have this exciting new opportunity that seems to be emerging, not so different from what Paul did in Rome. This is a great place to invite people in. It is a gathering place. Those who read my blog know that's what I call it online, to kind of mask it a little bit. The tryst or trist, depending where you went to school. A place for gathering into which we can invite people. And we want to invite young students to come in and enjoy the hospitality of this place. To discover the joy of this community, which I'm growing to love so much. And to be blessed that they, in turn, might bless others. As we grow older, as the inevitability of our earthly lives nearing their end gets nearer for all of us, no matter how old we are, we need to be willing to pass on the battle to a new generation. The Bethany's and Isaac's and Spencer's and our young students from overseas, from Nigeria and from the Bahamas and other places, and say, you take the work forward. Not denying what's gone past, because that's been good, but actually recognising that there are new works that God has for us to do. The reality is, at the moment, there are some people in this fellowship who are overstretched and overburdened, trying to keep all the balls in the air. And I'm getting a bit that way myself, if I'm honest. And we all have to be reminded that it's okay to put a few of them down before we drop them. There are other people whose advancing years mean they need permission to rest, to step back and let somebody else work and serve. And there are the younger people who actually need the encouragement to try their new ideas, to have the opportunities that many of us, like me, had when we were young. I think I was six the first time I read in church. So, you know, like about up to here on the lectern. And I read Psalm 100, and I had a suspicion that nobody heard a word I said. But they gave me the opportunity. And now you're stuck with me. There is something about recognising potential and giving opportunity for it to be expressed as well as just carrying on and doing what we've always done. For all of us, whether we are here for a reason or a season or a lifetime, to use that rather corny expression, we are called to serve Jesus, to walk in his footsteps, And in some sense, we're all housebound. In some sense, all of us are limited. But surely all of us can say to somebody we meet, why don't you come and see? Our prayers of intercession today focus specifically on the needs of older people. And we're going to start by hearing a verse from Brian's, Brian Wren's hymn, Bring Many Names. Old, aching God, 
grey with endless care, calmly piercing evil's new disguises. Glad of good surprises, wiser than despair. Hail and Hosanna, old aching God. Let's pray together. Older than time, aching with compassion, grayed with caring for your wayward children, we approach you, God of eternity, with our prayers for those whose age is great. Those whose bodies are wearied and worn, whose once lithe limbs now ache on cold mornings and stiffen in the damp. Those whose memories play cruel tricks, whose once keen minds now struggle to recognise the faces of those they love. Those whose righteous crown is the merest wisp of snowy down, whose teeth smile from the bedside glass, whose breakfast begins with medication. Thank you the years they have lived, the work they have done, the relationships they enjoyed. Thank you for the adventures they undertook, the memories they made, the laughter that shook their bellies, even for the worries that plagued their sleepless nights. Thank you for those grown old among us whom we love and by whom we are blessed. We pray for those whose age brings loneliness, emptiness and regret, who feel that they've wasted the life they were given, who have grown bitter or resentful at what life has brought them, who sits alone and listens to the clock tick endlessly, hour after endless hour. Show us how we can love those we find difficult, who try our patience to its limits. Show us when we should speak to challenge and when we should stay silent. Help us to see you in each lonely, tired, angry, sad, or bewildered face that is our neighbour. We pray for those whose age brings anxiety, sickness, or failing health, who fear the diagnosis that will spell the end who worry about paying the bills, keeping warm or well-fed, who are anxious for the welfare or future of children and grandchildren. Show us how to listen beyond the words, to see beyond the stillness or silence to the inner pain. Show us when we should speak or act and when we should step back and leave one alone. 
Help us to see in each fearful, worried, strong, independent face the Christ of Gethsemane. We pray for those whose age brings a sense of release, fulfilment and rest. Who can let go of past responsibilities and privileges with dignity and grace. Who are able to trust those who follow to continue what is good. Who are able to accept the inevitability of change with courage and with joy. Show us how to value all that has been achieved, recognising what it has involved. Show us when we should speak a word of gratitude or encouragement, and when we should be still and listen. Help us to rejoice in the promises of eternity, as those we love slip beyond earth's seeing. Before time, after time, through time. In sickness and health, age and youth, aching with love, eternally sustaining, God whose name is love. Receive our prayers offered in Christ's name. Amen.